A special thank you to everyone who is tuning in to Lullaby the Fear podcast. If this is your first time and you love the show, then please leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts to become a true Fear Cult ambassador. It supports the show for free and motivates me to research deeper cases. Sweet dreams. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Believe in ghosts? simply disappears. The other two died. Hello, hello, my pretties. It's your certified nightmare prescriber and non-destructive cult leader, Ashley Lana. Now, I want to say this is how you pronounce my name because a lot of people think it's pronounced a lot more exotic than it really is. <laughs> it's Ashley Lana, not Lana, Lana. <laughs> now don't get me wrong, Ashley Lana sounds so much better, but no, that's not how you pronounce it. I am unbelievably excited for this week's episode because I fucking hate this guy. <laughs> I had to say it, I had to get it out, because I'm probably going to say it a million more times. Now, I, I want to make it, how are you guys doing? How How is everyone doing this evening? I hope you're all doing well, and I truly mean that. I mean it every time I say it, and I can't have one-on-one -on -one conversations with you, so know that if you are listening, how are you? I hope you are great. <laughs> I mean that. I love you guys so much. The Fear Cult, you are what make me excited to publish, so... Thank you. Pre-warning, this is a wow episode, which means worst of the worst if you are a new listener. And this means the case details are extremely disturbing and are not suitable for everyone. So with that being said, welcome to Lullaby. Last episode, we covered the mind-boggling case of Barbara Sklorova and the Kiram Cannibal Cult, which was the inspiration behind the 2009 film Orphan. This week, okay, I'm about to throw down some big words here. <laughs> I hate this killer that we are going to discuss more than Ted Bundy. If you're new to the show, this won't mean a thing to you. <laughs> but welcome. If you're a longtime listener and Fear Cult member, then you already know that I cannot stand Theodore Robert Bundy. This guy is on home soil for me. He is Canadian and he is a mess. I want you to think of him as a no-name brand Zoolander who wants to be Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. My sources for this episode include the memoir written by Luca Magnata's mother, Anna Yorkin, titled My Son, the Killer, the untold story of Luca Magnata and one lunatic, one ice pick, as well as the complete forensic psychiatric assessment of Luca Magnata by his psychiatrist, Dr. Joel Watts, all 128 pages of it. <laughs> and the documentaries Don't Fuck With Cats, which is so good, and don't worry, I won't go into detail about the animal cruelty because I just, I, I can't handle that. It's, it's Monday, I'm recording on a Monday, and I can't handle that. <laughs> and the documentary Sex, Fame, and Murder. As for all cases, I've read a lot, and I read a lot for this show, and I love lullaby, and I don't fuck around. So, 
get comfortable because sweet dreams are made of these. The following story contains subject matter involving graphic descriptions of animal cruelty, sexual assault, mental illness, body dismemberment, necrophilia, and murder. Please take into consideration that some topics may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Ah, Mr. Magnata. Pleasure to meet you, sir. The young man held a somber expression behind a pair of oversized black sunglasses as he trudged into the waiting area of the Toronto Sun newsroom. <laughs> Earlier, an email was received by the Toronto Sun interviewer detailing how this man's life was in ruin due to an alleged rumor that he was in a romantic relationship with convicted serial killer Carla Homolka, the wife of Canadian serial killer Paul Bernardo. Hmm. And all because of the rumor about you dating Carla Homolka? Um, these days, to be honest with you, and uh, the, the rumors destroyed my life, basically. And uh, I've, been, I've been receiving death threats. Mm, okay. Uh, my, my address is posted, mm. so I had to move... Uh, I want my Pomeranian back. It was taken out of out of my SUV. Hmm. I'm I'm about to have a nervous breakdown, and my reputation is completely ruined. I just uh, everybody. I just I want to set the record straight that uh, me and me and her have absolutely no connection. I go in to see casting directors. I go in to see agents. You know, I they they know who I am. Oh, okay. You know, it, it's all over everywhere. The interview was dry and, frankly, very rehearsed to the eyes of those witnessing. Little did everyone realize this young man was going to be Canada's most wanted murderer. Nobody wants to talk to me. I don't have anybody, basically. Whoever's doing this, you know, please stop. You know, you're you're doing a lot of harm. This is the vicious story of Luca Magnata. Luca Rocco Magnata was born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman on July 24, 1982, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Luca was the oldest of two born from Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. Anna Yorkin was a small, timid young woman who was described as very kind, understanding, and a beautiful soul. She loved her children more than anything, no matter how hard life got. She described herself as being young and naive and scared to death of her husband, Donald. He would physically abuse her, rape, and humiliate her constantly. Anna reflects on her early life with Donald as a nightmare, and she was too scared to leave and too meek to stand her ground. Donald Newman worked as a laborer at a local factory, while Anna stayed home to watch their children. It would not be until later in life when Donald was diagnosed with schizophrenia that caused him to lead a troubled life. He was described as delusional and highly paranoid of society. Anna explained in an interview that life with him was like a dangerous cult. Donald was very racist and believed in Nazi Aryan superiority of the master race. In his youth, he would have swastikas displayed all over his bedroom, and he would watch videos of Adolf Hitler's speeches. When Luca was born, his mother Anna was only 16 years old, and his father Donald was 17. The two teenagers struggled financially and moved between their parents' houses. In 1983, 10 months after the birth of Luca, Anna gave birth to a son who they named Conrad. Luca and Conrad didn't particularly have a good relationship. They were always getting into altercations, more often than not instigated by Luca. 
It was common for him to blame Conrad for everything and deny having any involvement, a pattern that he would carry on for the rest of his life. Luca resented the fact that his mother favored siding with his brother. Luca was overall happy. He was energetic and a creative child. He did have a period of prolonged bedwetting, which is a trait significant to psychopathy and the McDonald triad. In 1987, Anna gave birth to a daughter named Melissa. Both his mother Anna and Luca himself detailed the close bond that he shared with his baby sister. The children were not allowed to attend public school, orders that were put in place by their father, Donald. He demanded that they were all homeschooled. Anna tried to convince him to let them go, but Donald insisted that public schools would poison their mind and corrupt their social skills. Luca's father, Donald, was extremely mentally and physically abusive towards the family. It was Luca who received the brunt of the abuse. His father called him a little faggot and would often throw him against the walls. If Anna threatened to leave, he would hurt the kids more and threaten to kill them if she left. Donald isolated Anna from her family and isolated his three children and her from the outside world as much as he could. Donald was caught stealing from his job at the factory and fired. Since he had no job to attend, he began drinking heavily. With all his attention focused on alcohol, it allowed Anna to finally convince him to let the three children attend public school. Anna utilized every opportunity to volunteer just to be away from home. Luca, Conrad, and Melissa all had problems integrating into their new school. Luca specifically. He was bullied for wearing non-designer clothing, being too shy, and overall just being different. Despite not being able to afford designer clothing, Luca was always able to dress very extravagant. His hair was always slicked back, and he held a cool demeanor that his peers did not appreciate. Luca recalled often spending time crying alone in the bathroom. He was laughed at whenever he had to speak in front of the class, and he did not like confrontation or retaliation. This constant ridicule from his father and classmates from a very young age imprinted his need for being loved and accepted, solidifying his fear of abandonment, as described by psychiatrists. In 1995, when Luca was 13 years old, his mother Anna was able to leave his father Donald. At this time, Donald sought professional help from a psychiatrist for the paranoia and suicidal voices in his head. He was prescribed medication for this diagnosed schizophrenia. It was after that that Luca and his father Donald shared a complicated relationship, despite the abuse while his father lived with him. The two maintained sporadic contact from then on. All right, Luca Magnata's educational records in 1993, they indicated that he did struggle with math, spoken written languages, and social communications. And that is when he was 11 years old. And then in 1995, he had a psychological evaluation that measured his intelligence, his verbal performance, and full-scale IQ, which resulted in him being average. Because he came from an abusive home and he was homeschooled for a while, he struggled integrating into the public education system, and he lacked confidence from being abused, and his cognitive abilities were described as, quote, being a low estimate. Now we're gonna time travel a little bit forward. Luca's psychiatric evaluation from February 18th, 2014, mentions how when he was growing up, he felt more comfortable in groups of girls and he was uncomfortable with his emotions. And it was described because of how he was treated at home and that when he integrated into school, everyone wasn't allowing him to integrate into society in the public school standard and it just caused him to emotionally collapse upon himself and struggle making friends. 
When Luca was asked if he ever experienced any sexual abuse as a child, he was unsure. He did remember an event that involved an uncle or a paternal cousin, and that relative was actually later arrested for pedophilia. Luca also explained that between the ages of five and six, he and his brother Conrad would play naked together as they grew up, which I don't know. I don't have kids, but I don't think that that's particularly uncommon. Don't hate me. I don't know. Again, I don't have kids. <laughs> but this is where it gets a little weird. As they grew to the ages of 12 and 13, they would watch each other masturbate and show each other their genitalia. Now, th that's that's where I draw the line a little bit. <laughs> so his mother, Anna, she started dating another man named Leo Bellinger. And this relationship, it blossomed real fast. And it was an exact replica of her previous marriage to Donald. Leo was abusive, he was an alcoholic, and he hated Luca. And eventually, spoiler alert, when Luca gets arrested, he mocks Anna and makes fun of her, saying, we all knew that this would happen. Your son is a fucking pussy who was destined to be a serial killer. And Leo himself had over 20 criminal charges against him, and he didn't let any of Anna's three children live comfortably. He would just make their life a living hell. And Leo would mock Luca's fashion. He, too, would call him a faggot. I, I hate that word. I don't like that word. And then he would speak to him in public and call him a pussy. He was very abusive. It's very sad how the family grew up and how terrified they were of all their mother's relationship choices. And now for clarification, at this point in his life, Luca is not a criminal. He has not committed any murders and he is a child. He has a terrible home life and that itself is not a reason to commit any horrific crimes especially the ones that he will commit later down the road. So don't think that I'm trying to glorify him for the future monster he becomes, because I'm not. So it's important to understand that his childhood, it was not healthy and no child should ever experience that. This information is simply just very critical to understanding the progression of Luca Magnata's mindset and how warped it gets. Now that we're all on the same page, we're all sitting in the same crystal clear mud. <laughs> Let's keep digging. When Luca had reached high school, he became obsessed with his appearance even more. He became intrigued by the beauty icon Marilyn Monroe after discovering an autobiography about her in the library. He felt as though he identified with Marilyn, for she too was abused. She was very sexual and cared about her appearance. Luca admitted to growing up feeling ugly and often thought about having plastic surgeries to feel beautiful. Luca Magnata said, quote, when I think of Marilyn, it calms me down. I wanted people to understand and love me. While in his early teens, Luca began hanging out with the loud troublemakers in high school. He, however, was never a problem student. He did not participate in any delinquent behavior or deal with drugs. At the same time, Luca had changed high schools. His grades progressively diminished and he began skipping classes. His mother, Anna, became worried and tried speaking with him about it, but he didn't listen. He hated school. Soon after, an event occurred when Anna became sick with pneumonia and she was bedbound. Her boyfriend Leo picked her up and he wrapped his arms around her chest and squeezed her like a boa constrictor until she was turning blue. When she managed to gasp for air, she said she couldn't breathe. Leo responded with, well, then you die. Soon, Anna gave birth to her fourth child, Leo Jr. 
It was explained that this new dynamic created a more violent household for Luca. When Luca was 16 years old, he packed up his bags to go live with his grandmother, Phyllis. He loved his grandmother just as much as he did his mother, if not more, but he couldn't handle living with the abuse from his stepfather, Leo. At 17 years old, Luca decided to drop out because he was tired of being bullied and harassed. He began working odd jobs, which resulted in him either quitting or getting fired. At 18 years old, Luca began showing symptoms of mental illness, such as hearing voices. His biological father, Donald, introduced him to a psychiatrist, and later in March of 2003, Luca had been admitted into the same hospital that his father was for schizophrenia. He applied for welfare and began receiving disability support due to his mental health problems. Luca began getting in trouble with the law at this point. He was sharing an apartment with a friend named Tony Manakis. Luca insists that Tony was a con artist who framed him with numerous accounts of credit card fraud. Luca Magnata met a 21-year-old female online who had the mental capacity of an 8 to 12-year-old. Luca manipulated her into letting him use her credit cards to purchase over $17,000 worth of items. The woman also indicated that their relationship was sexual and a majority of it was not consensual. At one point, she was raped by Luca while he videotaped it. The sexual assault charges were dropped by the Crown of Law. Luca's lawyer, Peter Scully, told in an interview on the show The Fifth Estate that the decision ultimately affected the future crimes of Magnata. If Luca were charged with the sexual assault, then he would have been put on a sexual offender's monitoring list for life. This would require Luca to report to an officer frequently. Luca claims that Tony purposely moved the stolen items into the apartment to frame him. Luca was charged and spent 16 days in jail, and he pled guilty on three counts of fraud and criminal impersonation. He was sentenced to a year of probation. The courts were made aware of his psychiatric diagnosis and that Luca was not regularly taking his medication. Rather than requiring him to seek further professional help, they told him that he had to take his prescriptions. Otherwise, the rest of his life would progressively get more problematic. After the criminal charges, Luca's mother, Anna, became worried about her son's drastic change in behavior. He became irrational, depressed, and suffered insomnia and was often confused. Luca was very concerned that people were watching him and that he was gonna get murdered. Even through all of his emotional distress, Luca continued modeling and trying to become a star. Luca was openly bisexual, although he was not dating. The only reason his family knew of his sexual orientation was because of his brother Conrad, who told his stepfather, which resulted in homophobic slurs being cursed. Luca began working as an exotic dancer at a male strip club in Toronto called Remington's. He got the job by performing oral sex on the club's owner. He didn't like the job, but at least he was earning enough money that he felt comfortable. He felt very insecure compared to the other male dancers. He was not muscular. He was slender and very pale. Overall, the other dancers were more physically pleasing to the audience, according to him. In 2003, Luca Magnata decided to expand his resume by applying to an ad on Craigslist. The opportunity was to be an actor in a pornographic film. Upon appearing in many low-budget films for six different adult studios, he was not successful. He then migrated into sex work and began working as an escort with five to six clients a day, making upwards between $2,000 and $3,000 a week. Luca decided to reinvent himself. He legally changed his name from Eric Newman to Luca Rocco Magnata. He was told by a friend that the name Luca suited him more than Eric after seeing the name in a men's magazine. 
Luca explained how he was tired of people calling him white trash, so he wanted a more exotic surname, so he chose Rocco Magnata because it sounded Italian. In 2006, Luca began having a sexual relationship with a transgendered woman named Barbie, who also worked as an escort. According to psychiatric reports, Luca explained that Barbie would laugh at him whenever he couldn't achieve an erection. She would also go on to complain about it. Barbie later went on to interviews to defend herself, and she explained that Luca would asphyxiate and revive her multiple times during intercourse, and that he would even drug her to a near coma. Although he enjoyed working as an escort, he did detail the negative aspects. For example, he was often offered cocaine and alcohol, which he did not like, but he occasionally accepted them because he felt pressured. Luca often contracted sexually transmitted diseases and required many prescriptions that made him feel suicidal. The more clients he was introduced to, the more he got exploited for his insecurities. He had been raped, assaulted, and robbed. He reported these incidents to the police, but they did not help him. Luca had clients who paid very well, but at the price of acting out violent masochistic fantasies that result in him being humiliated, defecated, and urinated on. The sessions would be recorded and published online. Luca admitted that it was the public humiliation pornography that he was very uncomfortable with, not so much the acts themselves. Luca himself said that fecal scat play aroused him because it made him feel a closer connection to others. He just didn't want it publicly broadcasted. Eventually, Luca began getting rejected by escort clients, which he took very personally. He started trying out for reality TV shows that focused on appearances and modeling, but they all turned him down. Luca Magnata's money had begun to run out and he was bankrupt. He wanted to be famous, and he felt as though he tried all his options. His last resort was down a more sinister path. In August of 2007, Luca approached his doctor and showed him a paper clipping showing his photo next to the infamous Canadian serial killer, Carla Homolka. The paper claimed that Canadian model Luca Magnata was dating the wife of convicted serial killer and rapist, Paul Bernardo. My fellow Canadians, we know this name very well. Carla Homolka, she was married to Paul Bernardo, who is also known as the Scarborough Rapist. Don't you worry. Oh, I'm doing an episode on the Cannon Barbie Killers. But until then, quick summary. Together, the Canadian couple, they raped and filmed and murdered Carla's little sister because Paul had a huge dinosaur crush on her and Carla decided to give him her sister as a Christmas present. And over time, many other women get abused and murdered. And Paul Bernardo is still currently serving life in prison and Carla made a plea deal, which is very controversial to this day, and was able to only serve 12 years, and she is currently free. As I said, I'll do an episode on Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. I'm just currently reading two biographies on them, so stay tuned for that. Now, back to our resident certified fucking fruitcake, Luca Rocco Magnata. He decided to start this anonymous rumor from one of his hundreds of online accounts that he was this Canadian supermodel who was dating serial killer Carla Homolka. And it's important to note that Luca was obsessed with Paul Bernardo, okay? He loved Paul's superficial good looks, his intelligence, and the fact that everyone who knew Paul loved him. And it was because of his looks that he got away with all the rapes and all the murders for such a long time. Even after people were like, yeah, Toronto police, the serial killer you're looking for and rapist, 
is Paul Renardo. And Luca Magnata's like, wow, he's such a stud. <laughs> and he created this rumor to get attention because everything else he was trying to do wasn't fucking working. His ex-girlfriend Barbie stated in interviews that Luca was infatuated with Paul and Carla to the point of obsession. And Luca created this tribute YouTube photo collage video of him and Carla. And then he claimed that someone else made it and that someone else was trying to ruin his reputation by insinuating that the two of them were an item. La-di-da. <laughs> It was during this time that Luca started doing TV auditions and he was failing miserably. And Luca auditioned for a Slice Network television series called Plastic Makes Perfect. And the show involves people pretty much willing to undergo dramatic surgeries to change their parents. And in Luca's audition, he's standing there like a goldfish with his mouth wide open. When he talks, he does it in that condescending tone. And he starts listing off all these supposed cosmetic surgeries that he's had. I'll read the quote. I've had my eyes done here because I used to have dark circles underneath my eyes and it was completely making me look like I was tired all the time. I've had my nose done. I've had two hair transplants, like I've said before, and I'm planning on having muscle implants in my pecs and my arms. That's what he tells the show's producers. And then he goes on to say, yeah, my name is Luca and I'm a cosmetic surgery addict. <laughs> I hate it. And I don't know what I hate more, my impersonation of it or just the whole damn scenario. <laughs> So the audition tape summed up is basically Luca discussing his insecurities and how he isn't considered to have the perfect celebrity aesthetic and it's preventing him from achieving fame. Okay, so then he goes on to explain how his narcissism has affected his relationships. And in his forensic psychology report, he stated that he exaggerated the extent of his surgeries because he felt insecure and he was denied by clients because of his appearance, which made him hate himself even more and wanted to come off like a plastic surgery addict in hopes of getting put on the show to get even more plastic surgery when he didn't particularly have it before. Another show that he auditioned to be on was the Canadian television series Cover Guy, which is similar to America's Next Top Model, but for men on a much smaller scale. And he says in the audition, quote, a lot of people tell me that I'm really devastatingly good looking, devastatingly good looking, you guys, devastatingly good looking. Like I stop traffic. Ugh, the <laughs> if you're gonna come off as condescending and narcissistic, at least fucking commit to it. Like pick, pick your avenue, Luca, okay? roll with it. This guy's bouncing all over the place. And I watched every interview with Luca Magnata. And as you all know, I research everything on criminals and I analyze. And when I research, I go hard. And I laugh because I know the words that I'm about to say that are about to come out of my mouth <laughs> are gonna be really bad. So I found his porn, you guys. There are like four levels of porn acting, okay? It's truly an art. There's like professional adult film star, then amateur adult film star, and then a throwaway scene film porn star because the acting was so bad. And then there's Luca Magnata. 
Like somebody get this guy a mirror. <laughs> Luca can't make it as an actor, a porn star, or a supermodel. He's just so terrible at everything he does because his fucking ego. So he starts spreading the word that someone started this hurtful rumor that's ruining his chances at becoming Canada's Next Top Model and Playboy's Playmate of the Year, and he can't get bookings with any agents because he's too mysterious and too dangerous, and he's dating Carla Homolka. Now, let's go deeper into the psychology a little bit. When Luca was assessed for narcissistic personality disorder, he had patterns of grandiosity, the constant need for attention no matter the circumstance, and he lacked empathy for others. Luca said during the assessment, quote, I do care for others, but I have been conceited in the past into myself because I don't have confidence, end quote. He went on to admit that he wanted to be something that he was not, like an actor, a model, and that he needed people to like him. He didn't feel special compared to the average person and therefore preoccupied his goals and lies with the fantasies to please others. Lucas said, I tried to be someone else to protect myself. He was trying to be cool to prevent being bullied just like when he was growing up. Lucas psychiatrist, Dr. Joel Watts, also examined for borderline personality disorder and this is defined as a mental health condition that results in extreme mood swings, unstable relationships, and issues controlling one's emotions. Luca made frantic efforts to avoid being abandoned by everyone, and he discussed being impulsive and reckless. So Dr. Watts explained that other than that, he didn't show any other symptoms of BPD. Luca has now reached the point of no return. He wants to be famous and he doesn't care if it's in the most dangerous way possible. And he resorts to murder for fame. In 2007, Luca Magnata called the radio station to publicly state that he was not dating serial killer Carla Homolka. Toronto Sun journalist Joe Warrington had been driving when he heard the broadcast. He decided he wanted an interview with Luca Magnata. Joe Warrington recalled in the documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, that when he first seen Luca Magnata, he was gobsmacked by the resemblance that he had with serial killer Paul Bernardo. Luca's hair was bleach blonde in what his mother referred to as his M&M days. In the interview, Luca described the rumor threatening his life and that his reputation was ruined. In 2010, Luca moved to New York City for a vacation. Luca claimed that a client by the name of Manny Manuel Lopez became infatuated with him and began stalking him. When the two would have sex, Luca claimed that Manny would strike him in the head during orgasms and hurt him during bondage. He also claimed that Manny would often take away his medications because he believed in Scientology. He tried to convince Luca that his medications would make him suicidal and anxious. With his heightened sense of paranoia mixed with his need for fame, Luca slowly began uploading more false claims and photoshopped pictures of himself online. He would then tell the police that people were trying to kill him and creating online fake accounts using his name. It was discovered that Luca was running out of money and his escort clients were dwindling. Luca detailed in an email to the police that he was worried that if he didn't have any work, he would not be able to support his mother or grandmother. Luca then decided it was time for him to move back to Canada. He logged into his Facebook account and posted the video titled, Three Guys, One Hammer. This was a shock, gore, real-life murder video that circulated online and caught the attention of millions in 2007. Known as the Daniel Propetros Maniacs, two 19-year-old boys were charged with the murders of 21 victims. 
Their crimes involved animal cruelty and the brutal torture and abuse of humans in the Ukraine. They were recorded and all leaked online. Posting the video to his Facebook page created a lot of attention from his friends and family, which he relished in. This gave Luca the fuel to ignite his future crimes and notoriety. It was around Christmas time in 2010 when Las Vegas data analyst Deanna Thompson sat down at her computer to unwind for the day. She logged onto her Facebook where there was a video link. With interest, Deanna clicked the YouTube video titled One Boy, Two Kittens, uploaded by user You Only Wish 500. What happened next horrified her. It showed a young man in a hood kill two kittens with a vacuum sealed bag on a wolf blanket on a bed with the Christmas song Happy Xmas, War Is Over by John Lennon playing in the background. The online community went rampant after witnessing the cruelty. You Only Wish 500 posted one comment. All you haters can suck my huge dick, lol. One thing Luca Magnana did not realize was on the internet, there is one rule, known as rule zero. Don't fuck with cats. Death threats towards the unidentified cat killer went viral instantly. Deanna recalled in the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, thinking, who the fuck are you gonna call? The person in the video had no identity, and with no identity, there was no suspect. The uploaded video had no location nor noticeable clues as to where it was filmed. It wasn't long before Deanna found a Facebook group with the sole purpose of finding the cat killer. Within the hundreds of members, she noticed that one man was not overreacting and he was leading with substantial facts. That man was Los Angeles resident John Green. He had watched the video and reacted in disgust himself. He began searching You Only Wish 500's YouTube account to see no activity, except for one, that he only liked one video, the trailer to the Leonardo DiCaprio film, Catch Me If You Can. The members of the Facebook group began focusing on the minimal profile of the young man's face in the video. Deanna and John began scanning for objects in the room and details that could indicate a specific geographical location. For example, electrical wall sockets are different in the UK than they are in North America. Voices can be heard in the background of the video, speaking Russian. Deanna and John posted the isolated voices asking the Facebook group to identify the language. Once the language was confirmed by a Ukrainian woman, she explained that it was a recording from a Russian sitcom. The recording was purposely laid into the cat video as a red herring to mislead the viewers, and it worked. After weeks of internet sleuthing, Deanna and John had nothing to go on until another YouTube link was posted into the Facebook group by a fake account. There was pictures and a video of the same bedroom with the same young man playing with the now two dead cats. Deanna and John felt that this was a personal taunt towards them. This man wanted to be caught and he had been secretly infiltrating the group. Both Deanna and John started rewatching the second video frame by frame to search for clues. The group knew that if they didn't track this man down, that he would eventually move on to killing people and he would not stop because he's not scared to do it. I had to go off book for this next part because I want you to hear just how excited I get when I explain this because my close friends, they can all confirm and they're gonna be nodding their heads going, yup, <laughs> in agreement with what I'm about to say. The extent of the sleuthing with Deanna and John is incredible. So Deanna and John are absolutely inspiring and they need shrines because Luca Magnata and his mother heavily dislike them for all the sleuthing that they did to pretty much point out Luca Magnata as a fraud. But honestly, you kill someone and you kill a bunch of cats online and then you expect no one to hunt you down? <laughs> 
okay, you're gonna get the fucking hammer. So Deanna and John, they took each frame of the second video and combed through 10,000 screenshots of it. And what did they find? They found a box of cigarettes. And cigarettes are different in each country. They differ in shape, the filter, the design, and the legal health disclaimers on the box. Now, the pack of cigarettes had the Surgeon General warning that smoking causes lung cancer on the box. And the Surgeon General warning is specific to America. Yes, it's not solid because anyone can buy a pack of cigarettes and then jump the border, right? But, and this part gives me goosebumps, people. <laughs> Deanna finds an image frame of a small yellow vacuum cleaner. And this vacuum cleaner was used to kill the kittens in the first video. No, that part I'm not excited about. I'm excited about what she does with this. She goes to a vacuum cleaner repair forum online and posts the image of the yellow vacuum. And almost instantly, the forum group identified it as a Kenmore canister cleaner vacuum specific to the model and that it's only sold in North America. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just, I love this shit. Now around the same time, a rescue organization based in New York named Rescue Inc. joined the search on the Facebook group for the cat killer. And then the search just expanded and new members were joining constantly. And then a new Facebook account posted to the page that he was the one that killed the cats. The group was like, oh great, this is a confession. So they went to the suspected account and they clicked on the friend groups and they located the account to a town in South Africa. So this completely confuses Deanna and John since they were confident that the man they were looking for was in North America. And the admins of the Facebook group, they ended up announcing that the man responsible for the videos is located in South Africa down to a name. Deanna, she insisted profusely that they had the wrong person, but the admins, they didn't listen. And hundreds of group members started this witch hunt, harassing and accusing this man over Facebook. The man behind the secret profile was named Edward Lewis Jordan. And Edward was in a depression and he pretty much spent his time at this moment trolling the group and he realized that he went too deep and he ended up taking his own life because of all the backlash. He was not the real cat killer who posted the videos. So now this large Facebook group hunting this unidentified cat killer is starting to dwindle because days go by and nothing they're getting nothing and they realize that they had the wrong person time goes by and deanna john and a couple other members of the group they start getting direct messages saying the person you're looking for is named luca magnata he was born in russia and lives in los angeles the apartment you're looking for is in west hollywood hope this helps i'm a hundred percent serious so of course Deanna and John and a couple of these other members, they start Googling and thousands of photos of Luca Magnata just all over the world. He's in Lamborghinis and he's in hot tubs. There's one where he's getting married, just pop up everywhere, which were all proven to be Photoshopped because of John Green. He found the original photos and put them next to the ones where Luca took the same photo and superimposed his face onto it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I fucking hate this guy. Uh, Luca Magnata, not John Green. These fan websites, these fan accounts, they all popped up and they were all dedicated to the Luca Rocco Magnata. And these fan sites, they all had comments saying like, he's a huge Canadian supermodel, he's so beautiful, and that he's related to River Phoenix, and that he could possibly be Marilyn Monroe's secret son, which would throw him over the age of 40 by this time. <laughs> and to this day, Luca Magnata and his mother claim that this internet group, including Deanna and John, were the ones that created all these photos and photoshopped Luca's face onto them and created these stupid websites because they had nothing better to do. But what Deanna and John decided to do was they decided to compare these online photos, we're talking all of them, with a side-by-side -side profile of the young man from the cat killing video and they were identical and because these two are so smart they didn't inform the facebook group like the big facebook group because they didn't want another manhunt resulting in someone dying so instead they create a small hidden private group with a minimal amount of intelligent members okay if anybody out there knows deanna thompson can you specifically get her to reach out to me because i just want to tell her personally that she's the shit. <laughs> so now they had a suspect, Luca Magnata. They had pictures that they could compare and they were identical. Now all they needed was a geographical location and they were able to conclude that it was in North America. Everyone still with me? Deanna and John, they watched the Toronto Sun interview that was posted three years prior to the cat killing videos where Luca was complaining that someone spread the rumor that he was dating Carla Homolka. And that's when they realized, oh, this piece of shit is doing this for fame. Now, Deanna started extracting the data from each photo that was on Google, and it provided the coordinates to the location where the photo was taken. Many had no trace as to where they were from. One, however, did, and it marked Luca in Toronto, Canada with the date 2010, a month before the video of the cat killing was posted on YouTube. So John Green, he began searching for his address and he started by finding photos taken by Luca in Toronto. And then he finds one where Luca is leaning over a balcony. And in the background, you can see a Petro-Canada on the corner. Now for all my international listeners, Petro-Canada is a gas station. <laughs> They're everywhere. So John searches Petro gas stations in Google Maps, specifically in Toronto. And of course he gets a lot. They're everywhere. They're like the gas station equivalent of McDonald's here. They're everywhere. And so he then narrows it down because he remembers an interview that Luca said where he said that he was in Etobicoke, Toronto, which is a suburb. He goes to Etobicoke and types in Petro gas station. And there are only six. And this is where I got really big goosebumps because I've this one I've done before. This is a technique that is fantastic. So he had the picture that he knew. He knew the area. He had six Petro Canadas. Now he just had to find it in Google Maps, go to street location and look around to see if it matched the photo that Luca Magnata had taken from his balcony. And guess what? He finds it. He goes into street view. He finds the Petro, does a nice 360, 
and probably at about 180, he finds the apartment complex. John then calls the Toronto Police Department and the Toronto Humane Society, and this was in January of 2011. After convincing them that the story of the animal abuse wasn't a prank call, the authorities were concerned of the crimes because they thought the suspect would progress, because that's what they do. The police go to the apartment, they knock on the door, someone answers. But it's not Luca Magnata. The person who answers said, yes, Luca Magnata did in fact live here, but he has since moved to Russia. Of course he fucking skipped town. This isn't the first time he's done it. Knowing that the cops are hot on his tracks, Luca decides to lay low for a bit. And then in November and December of 2011, this was a year after the first cat killing video, Luca posted two new videos using a false account. One of the videos, it depicts a man in a Santa hat, who is Luca Magnata, feeding a live kitten to a python. And the other video is the same unidentified man, but this time he's wearing sunglasses. He is seen drowning a cat taped to a broom in a bathtub. It is fucking horrendous. You won't forget that crap. Don't even Google it. Don't go to look for it. It's, it's awful, okay? Heed my warning. Deanna and John, they knew within 30 seconds that the unidentified killer was Luca Magnata. And a member of the group even found a photograph of Luca wearing the same fucking sunglasses that he's wearing in the video. Again, Luca was purposely taunting this group. The new false account that Luca created to upload these videos had the username Leslie Ann Downey with the profile of a young child. Leslie Ann Downey, she was abducted in the United Kingdom in 1964 by ugh, Ian Brady and Mira Hindley. These two are the infamous Moores murderers. And the couple, they killed a total of five children in Manchester, England. Ian Brady and Mira Hindley, they recorded a 16-minute tape of them sexually assaulting 10-year-old Leslie while Ian insists that he would stop once he got pictures. He's fucking lying. And in the background of the murder tape, the song Little Drummer Boy is heard playing, the Christmas song. And Luca uses the same song in the video with the cat python. And this isn't going to be the first time he refers to serial killers and does these little tiny techniques. On December 3rd, 2011, the London Sun in England wrote an article addressing that these videos were online and that the sicko cat killer needed to be stopped. The article asked if anyone knew him. Days after the article was published, British journalist Alex West received a message saying, quote, The person you are looking for is currently in London, England and his name is Luca Rocco Magnata, and he is staying at the Fusilier Inn. Alex West did track down Luca Magnata, who was staying at the inn. There was minor hesitation on Alex's part due to him being worried that Luca would try to kill him. So he brought with him a voice recorder and recorded the entire interview. When Alex asked why Luca was in London, Luca immediately questioned if he was being filmed, to which Alex said no. Luca continued on to explain that he traveled to London because he was being harassed and receiving death threats. Alex started to interrogate Luca. He asked if he was the one killing the cats in the videos because the profile images on the screenshots looked exactly like him. Luca smugly responded saying, quote, people are really good with Photoshop these days, aren't they? Laughing, Alex questioned why anyone would do that. And Luca only dismissed the rest of the interview and told the journalists to have a wonderful day. A few days passed and Alex received an email from a fake account with the name 
John Kilbride, who was another victim of the Moores murders. He was only 12 years old when Ian Brady and Myra Hindley abducted, sexually assaulted, and strangled him to death in Manchester. The email said, It's so fun watching people work so hard, gathering all the evidence and not being able to catch me. I always hold the trump card, and I will continue to make more movies. The next time you hear from me, it will be in a movie I'm producing that will have some humans, not just pussies. Soon after, posted on multiple forums, were comments referring to an online video where a man was brutally murdered with an ice pick. A post-profile photo of a man wielding what resembled an ice pick is seen in a purple hoodie in front of a Casablanca poster. The comments were asking if anyone had seen it, and they had looked for weeks trying to find it. These comments were self-posted by Luca's fake accounts to promote his new video. On May 25, 2012, when John Green was lying in bed, he received a Facebook message saying, I found a video I think you should look at, and I think it's Luca. The link was to a video titled, One Lunatic, One Ice Pick. Warning, the next portion is very graphic and is not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Upon clicking the link, a man is seen tied up with his limbs spread on the bed. An old movie poster is on a wall of the 1942 film Casablanca. The song True Faith by New Order plays in the background. It is the same song used in the introduction of the cult classic American Psycho starring Christian Bale. An unidentified man is seen straddling the body and standing up and caressing the naked form in front of him. The man on the bed seems to be drugged and semi-conscious. The caressing of the body has the same introduction pattern to the cat killing videos where the man is petting the prey. The video then shows the man being stabbed 55 times in the chest and abdomen with a Torx screwdriver. The cameraman then cuts to the victim. His throat is slit. Next, the decapitated head is being held up and necrophilia is performed with the head. The man then starts limbing the body and he even uses the severed arm to masturbate himself. A wine bottle is then used to sodomize the corpse and eventually the killer himself engages in sodomy with the decapitated torso. Luca also cannibalizes the corpse. The autopsy reports explain that most of the injuries, except the slitting of the throat and the blows to the head with the hammer, happened before the man's death. The entire autopsy took five days to complete. John Green watched the video about 20 times, not believing what he was seeing really happened. The Facebook group all watched in awe, knowing that this moment was going to happen. I remember watching this video. I seen the whole thing and I'll never forget it. One lunatic, one ice pick. It was on bestgore.com. And I was with my friend at her house when we were teenagers. The website Best Gore is no longer available, thank God. It was a shock gore website that had videos of real murders, real tortures, rapes, all this horrendous shit you could just think of. It was on it and you didn't need the dark web to access it. And it was as easy as Googling Wikipedia. It was so simple. The creator, he was arrested and he was charged under Canada's obscenity law with corrupting public morals. And my goodness, I remember the day we kind of just wormholed and found this video in shock and confusion because you don't think it's real and how easy it is to find. The website Best Gore was created in Edmonton, Alberta. Hey, that's where I'm from. So hearing that on the news immediately made us more interested. We were teenagers. So we watched this video and I remember 
At first, my friend and I, we were, we were talking as it was playing, but when Luca decapitated the head and started doing the sexual things, we just felt completely silent and we were just staring at the monitor. It was disgusting. So disgusting that we actually couldn't react to it. And now that I'm much older and understand the full depth of Luca Magnata and the reasoning as to why he committed the murder, it makes it even more atrocious. And that's why I hate him so fucking much because it came up on the news, like one lunatic, one ice pick. And we're like teenagers and we're like, no, all right, like, let's see if we can find it. And we found it and we watched it. And it was like the ring, you push play and you just can't look away. I can remember just feeling so, so much sadness for the man on the bed because it wasn't until the sexual assault to the corpse started happening where I kind of in my head just went, oh my God, like that's a person. This is happening to someone and it doesn't matter who or why, like this shouldn't be happening. And as this is going on in my mind and I'm watching this, I'm just blank faced staring at this computer monitor. I remember it like it was fucking yesterday. Now the man that Luca Magnata killed was named Jun Lin and he did it for fame. He didn't need to know who this person was. He didn't kill due to an overpowering lust or built up anger towards the victim. He did it because all of his previous attempts at becoming famous failed. He filmed himself killing a random man and dismembered the corpse he performed necrophilia and he desecrated a corpse. And then he started mailing the limbs to Canadian political parties. Oh, we'll get to it. I, I, fuck, I remember this, you guys. My fellow Canadians, if you remember what you were doing when this broke mainstream news, please send me a message at Lullaby the Fear podcast because I, I'm just so curious what you're doing because I remember what I was doing. Any international listeners, especially Germany, you'll find out why later. Uh, message me if you remember what you were doing when it broke news because it was huge news. Luca created 70 different Facebook accounts and 20 different websites about him in the form of fan accounts about himself. So when Luca was asked about the fan sites, he said, quote, the failing media falsely claimed that I had hundreds of accounts. This was a huge lie perpetrated by internet trolls. I only had a couple of social media accounts. If idiots steal my photos and post them, that's not my problem. I was and am too busy living my own life to pay any attention." End quote. Luca always wanted to escape his life, and he says this many times, even in a blog that he posted in 2009 because he was being bullied. He then created this online photoshopped lavish lifestyle and attempted to sell it to the world as if he were the successful Canadian model who was constantly bombarded by obsessed fans and harassed by haters trying to ruin his life. And he still, to this day, stands by this story. In the autobiography titled My Son the Killer, The Untold Story of Luca Magnata by Brian Whitney and his mother Anna Yorkin, there is a quote from Luca attempting to profess his innocence on not faking this lifestyle. He says, quote, I was living in many different countries and modeled for many years. I lived in Los Angeles, Miami, and New York. I did runways, photo shoots, and private events. My manager suggested that I try out for reality shows, which I reluctantly did. This is no way evidence of narcissism, as armchair lonely internet's trolls claim. 
I tried out for three reality shows, big fucking deal. Okay, let's go back to what I said earlier when he was on the one reality show and then he said that his narcissism actually affects his relationships. Boom, bitch. He does this so many times where he completely contradicts himself. Because honest to God, this guy's ability to humble brag is cringeworthy. In interviews, he looks off into the distance as if he's reliving these false scenarios. And then he acts like the world knows who he is and that it's happening to him because he's famous. I, I can't take this. I don't like this guy. <laughs> this is rough for me. Luca, he went as far as trying to create his own Wikipedia page two times. And they got taken down by administrators both times. This next part is why we are here for your cult. The dark psychology. In regards to Luca Magnata refusing to admit that he created all these accounts and photoshopped these photographs, forensic psychiatrist Dr. Joel Watts spent hours analyzing Luca from prison and during the trial. In these reports, Luca confided in Dr. Watts that he did in fact exaggerate his success and reputation online. Again, it's this actually isn't very uncommon with the cyber age, but he fucking killed a person and a bunch of cats, so we're coming for you, bitch. Luca murdered for fame, and he wanted people to know who he was. Dr. Joel Watts concluded that due to all the years of abuse and humiliation, Luca felt this internal hunger to be accepted and loved in the fear of abandonment. Therefore, Luca, quote, falsified his identity at times in order to either boost his self-image or as he alleges, to scare people. And even when he gets caught, he even lies about his schizophrenia. He said that he never had it. And then his mother says that it was just thrown in there to make him look bad. No, I, I read the fucking reports. This guy has been in and out of hospitals because of his schizophrenia for years. Now I want, I'm getting a little bit negative energy past a level five and I don't like that. So I like, I know we talk about true crime and these things are horrific, but I want everyone to know it's important. If you ever feel worked up while listening to an episode, take time to pause, go for a walk, pet your cats, because we love cats, and just take time to come back down and then come and listen to the rest of the episode. Okay? Positive mental health here at Lullaby. On May 29th, 2012, the maintenance supervisor of the building complex, a man named Mike Nadeau, he was doing his rounds when he noticed a gray suitcase swarming with flies. He decided to investigate. Upon unzipping the bag, he discovered the decomposing, decapitated torso of Jun Lin. At the scene, several bags contained a leg with no foot, two arms, and the hands were cut off, a full leg, latex gloves, cleaning products, a cell phone, a screwdriver painted to resemble an ice pick, and a Mastercraft saw, as well as a dead puppy in a bag. There was also a rolled up Casablanca poster, the one that appeared in the video. Along with that, there was a driver's license and receipts that belonged to 29-year-old Luca Rocco Magnata, who lived in the building's apartment 208. The Montreal police initially thought that he was the murder victim. Over the span of 18 hours, the investigators discovered personal documentation leading police to the apartment number 208, the home of Luca Magnata. Upon entering the small apartment, veteran officers were left in horror. A blood-soaked mattress along with a stained pink bedsheet immediately caught their attention. 
written in red felt on the back of a white door, was, quote, If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. Later that same day, the police received a missing persons report that 33-year-old Jin Lin had gone missing. At 4 a.m. the next morning, the investigators found the online video of one lunatic, one ice pick. Jun Lin was born on December 30th, 1978 in Wuhan, China. He was described as an intelligent, shy, and very kind person by those who knew him. Jun had decided to move to Canada from Beijing in 2012 because of the more liberal acceptance of being gay. He was not openly gay, but he did have a boyfriend who lived in Canada. Jun recently immigrated as an exchange student to study computer science at Concordia University in Toronto. Every day, Jun would talk to his mother back in China and he would send her photos of all the exciting places he would visit and the new activities he would try. When Jun Lin failed to show up to work, his coworkers were immediately concerned. It was very out of the ordinary. When days had passed and Jun's family and friends had not heard from him, they began searching for him. Jun's ex went to his apartment to find that his cat was starving and no one had been there in days. The police were contacted and the authorities followed up but not explaining that June was suspected to be the man murdered in the Luca Magnata case, since the body had not yet been identified in the video. Investigators went to June's apartment and collected the evidence for testing. Everything matched the torso. June's friend also heard of a rumor that an Asian man was murdered in a video circulating on the internet. He watched the video and confirmed that the poor victim was his 33-year-old friend, June Lin. A few weeks before his murder, June had broken up with his boyfriend. He had seen an ad on Craigslist earlier that day posted by Luca Magnata. He was looking for a male partner to have bondage sex with and be filmed. The two men met at a local McDonald's and Luca was able to charm Jun back to his apartment. It was proven that sedatives were added to the wine that Luca gave Jun. The two were seen on security footage in the building. Jun was wearing a yellow t-shirt and hours after the murder, Luca was seen leaving the building wearing Jun Lin's yellow t-shirt. On May 29th, 2012, 120 miles away from Montreal, the left foot of Jun Lin was left outside of the Canadian governing Conservative Party office in Ottawa. The staff noticed blood seeping from the package and called the police and the RCMP. Later that same evening, around 9 p.m., the Canadian Post sorting facility in Cotonez, Quebec, discovered another package with blood dripping from the corners. This package was addressed to the Liberal Party of Canada and contained the decaying hand of Jun Lin. On June 5th, 2012, completely across the country in Vancouver, British Columbia, a package containing the right hand arrived at False Creek Elementary School. The return address was to L. Valentini, a woman formerly known as Lori Hamolka. She changed her name to Logan Valentini after the trial of her sister, Carla Hamolka. She would eventually have to testify at the trial of Luca Magnata. Handwritten on the package were the words, roses are red, violets are blue. The police will need dental records to identify you, bitch. The remaining right foot was sent to St. George Private School later that afternoon. Both schools were cordoned off and the BC's forensic team started investigating. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, more commonly referred to as the RCMP, began the manhunt for the killer who made his murder public for all to see. Authorities replayed the surveillance footage at Luca's apartment, where the murder occurred, and seen Luca at two in the morning take out the garbage. Later, the surveillance footage from the post office also shows Luca Magnata holding a parcel that was later shipped. Investigators began watching footage from the apartment building where Luca had murdered the body to find the exact moment when Luca had been with Jun Lin entering the complex. Soon they had it, the moment Luca had brought the unknowing victim to his house. 
The police then named Luca Rocco Magnata as their number one suspect and issued a nationwide warrant for his arrest on suspicion of murder. The Montreal police contacted Deanna Thompson and John Green, joining their private Facebook group. Finally, after all the warnings from the group, Luca had committed the murder and they all knew that he would do it again. Now the authorities were taking the situation seriously. They began asking the group if they had any clues as to where Luca would be going. A member of the group explained that Luca Magnata always wanted to be chased but never caught, so he always left clues. They pointed out the Casablanca poster in the murder video of John Lynn, Paris, France. The Canadian police contacted the French authorities and they found security footage in Paris of Luca. The police traced his cell phone to a hotel, but when they arrived, Luca had left and he boarded a bus to Berlin, Germany, using the name Kirk Trammell. On June 4, 2012, Luca Magnato walked into a Berlin internet cafe. The employee at the storefront recognized him immediately from the news reports. Remaining casual, he led Luca to a computer station. The man looked at the screen from a distance and seen that Luca was Googling his own mugshot. And with that, he contacted the police. As Luca was going to leave, 10 German police officers stormed the cafe and arrested him. Luca Rocco Magnato was deported back to Canada to await psychological evaluation before the trial. In court, Luca's then 50-year-old biological father, Donald Newman, testified that his son should not be found criminally responsible for the crimes due to his history of mental illness. During the testimony, Donald acknowledged that Luca was emotionally and physically abused, but not by him, but by his mother, Anna. He claimed that the reasoning the children were homeschooled was due to their mother being a germaphobe and wanted to be isolated. In Anna's memoir, she says that these statements were false. Donald expressed in court that his three grown children were, quote, they are very messed up kids in all ways and still are. Donald Newman appeared in court with a black cane and a lunch bag full of prescription pills associated with his mental illnesses. He was also joined by a self-appointed social worker to help him with the recounting of memories of his marriage with Anna. Anna Yorkin doesn't believe that her son has schizophrenia, and she believes it was simply added to his medical health diagnosis for no clear reason. Although Anna thinks her son Luca has a personality disorder, she believes that Manny Manuel Lopez is the one who should be tracked down and put in jail, not Luca. This is where the case gets bananas. Luca Magnata claims that the man who he met in New York back in 2010 as an escort is the real killer in the case, even though it's clearly Luca in all the fucking videos. So according to Luca, Manuel was the one who introduced him to crush videos. And these are basically animal cruelty videos that get filmed and posted online for money. It's disgusting. When Luca was in New York, he claims that he noticed a vacuum cleaner, and that's when Manuel told him that he was going to have Luca make videos of him killing kittens for money. And Luca says that he pleaded because he didn't want to do it, but Manuel said, if you don't, I'll post the videos I took of men urinating on you and upload them publicly. Then, according to Luca, Manuel left the room, and that's when he filmed the videos of him killing the cats. Luca continues to claim that once Manuel came into the room, he forced him to have sex with the, the dead cats. Ugh. When Dr. Watts questioned Luca about that statement, Luca said that he did it to get it over with and he felt gross. Afterwards, he tried to get away from Manuel, but Manuel started harassing him, yada, yada, yada. Luca, who also stated multiple times that it wasn't him who killed the cats, he blames it on Manny, that it's him doing it. 
when in the psychiatry reports, he admits to it. He tells Dr. Joel Watts that it was him. Like, like he thinks that eventually we're not going to get a hold of this shit. <laughs> and it's kind of like how he refuses to acknowledge his schizophrenia publicly. In July 2011, Luca told the psychiatrist that he began hearing voices again and he wasn't taking his medication. Here's a quote from 2011 that detailed Luca's hearing voices when he was in the Ontario Disability Program. Quote, In his handwritten letter requesting ODSP benefits, Mr. Magnata stated that he wouldn't leave home due to fears that people were watching him and wanted to kill him. He also complained of hearing voices in his head telling him to hurt himself. He named his illnesses being schizophrenia, which caused him to feel paranoid and have mental spells and fear that people were poisoning his food at times. He spoke of sedation and apathy that medication was causing him." End quote. I wanna talk about the Python video. Apparently, Manuel forced him to film the Python video, and of course, you watch the Python video and you can visually see another hand in the video with Luca's two hands in the frame. So there are three hands, which is theorized to be Manuel's. And Luca's mother, Anna, supports this theory because Luca says so. Do you wanna hear my theory? <laughs> so many psychiatrists, psychologists, and investigators concluded that Manuel Manny Lopez is a figment of Luca's imagination. One of the many voices he has admitted to hearing and telling him to do things in the past, documented in multiple psychiatric reports. It's the appearance of this third hand petting the snake in the video that has people believing that Manuel is real. Do I think Manuel is real? No, I do not. Because of all the times in the forensic reports by Dr. Watts and Luca's past history medical reports, I believe that Manuel's existence is due to Luca not taking his medication and not seeking more professional help because he's admitted to these evil voices. But the hand, yes, there is a third hand in this video. And I think it's the snake's owner, Rebecca, who Luca actually gave her $150 to buy the snake as a present for her boyfriend. Because when Luca moved back from New York, from Montreal, he talked to Rebecca and she helped him find an apartment. And Rebecca wanted to buy her boyfriend at the time a birthday present. So Luca gave her $150. This is all in the psychiatry report. He tells the psychiatrist the story. Luca explains in his evaluation that he began hearing voices again and he felt lonely, so he got two cats, who he named Jasmine and Kenny. As Dr. Watts details, Luca told him that Rebecca needed a place for the snake to stay in the meantime, before the birthday party, and Luca claimed that Manuel called him and wanted Luca to film a crush video where he fed one of his cats to the snake, which he did. This quote that I'm about to read is directly from the psychiatric assessment of Magnata by Dr. Joel Watts. And it's the reason why I believe the third hand in the video belongs to Rebecca and not Manuel. I think Manuel is fake. Quote, Mr. Magnata said that Rebecca was there when he fed the cat to the snake and she commented, who cares, just get another cat. They were drinking wine and she said not to mention it to anyone what happened because she appeared to be scared of getting into trouble. Manny came over the next day, but Magnata did not want to let him in. He was worried that Manny would do something to the other cat. And then of course the other video of the cat drowning was next, but 
It was only Luca in the video. It was awfully coincidental, don't you think? Because Manny doesn't fucking exist. I think Rebecca was there because of the, the snake, like he said, and I think that was her hand petting the snake, petting her snake. But that's none of my business. <laughs> Luca Magnata was sentenced to life in prison on December 23rd, 2014 for the first degree murder and dismemberment of 33-year-old Jun Lin, as well as criminal harassment of the Prime Minister of Canada, Stephen Harper. In 2015, Luca Magnata signed up on a dating website called Canadian Inmates Connect. He was looking for a 28 to 38-year-old white male in good shape. He required the characteristics of loyal, educated, financially and emotionally stable. And on June 26, 2017, with his mother Anna Yorkin as a witness, Luca married a fellow inmate named Anthony Jolin. The couple has been denied any conjugal visits. Earlier this year in 2022, Luca Magnata demanded that he be transferred out of maximum security prison. And he took the government of Canada to court. He was denied. His mother, Annie Yorkin, firmly believes that Luca is completely rehabilitated. He is no longer on medication and is in great health, she explained in an interview. She still wonders why no one has been searching for Manny Manuel Lopez, the man who Luca claims forced him to perform all these cruel acts. Members of the Facebook group searched into the alias used by Luca Magnata during his reign of terror. In Europe, after the murder of Jun Lin, Luca acquired a fake ID using the name K. Trammell. Upon searching the name, the 1992 psychological thriller Basic Instinct, starring Michael Douglas and Sharon Stone came up. Sharon Stone plays a psychopath who murders her boyfriend with an ice pick. The name of Sharon Stone's murderous character is Catherine Trammell. The murder in the movie is almost an exact replication of the murder of June Lin carried out by Luca Rocco Magnata. The name of the abusive ex-fiance of Sharon Stone's character Catherine Trammell was Manuel Manny Vasquez. 29-year-old Luca Rocco Magnata was recreating his favorite psychological thriller in real life. He will now serve the rest of his life in prison for the murder of Jun Lin. When the investigators searched the apartment where Luca Magnata murdered Jun Lin, there was a message written on the closet in red ink that read, if you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. I don't care. As Luca left the crime scene, he stopped and admired his appearance in front of the hall mirror in clear view of the security camera. If you don't like the reflection, don't look in the mirror. That was the true story of Luca Rocco Magnata, the creature who craved fame no matter the cost. And going through his psychiatric reports made me dislike him even more than I thought I did before. And it's pretty crazy how he played out this entire movie in his head and he wanted to be chased but not caught. Certified fucking fruitcake. Thank you so much to Fear Cult Ambassador Corey, the owner of 86th Chef Apparel for providing the voice of Luca Magnata. And Corey and I, we were cracking up for the rehearsal because in the interview, Lucas says, just out of the blue, I want my Pomeranian back. And it's so random and so funny. We couldn't get over it. And he was trying not to laugh when he was reading it, but he did such a great job. Thank you so much, Corey. And we both described him as Patrick Bateman wannabe because Lucas just so glossy. <laughs> like the face mask part in American Psycho is Luca Magnata all day, every day. <laughs>
coming for me now. And then they'll come for you. This is the never-ending quest to find a truly scary movie where I watch horror movies and if they've fucked me up a little bit, I recommend them to you because we are always looking to be scared because nowadays it's kind of difficult with the movies that are coming out. Sorry, Hollywood, you're trying, but try a little harder. <laughs> I was honored to be a guest on the Team TNA podcast where I joined hosts Eric and Tyler to discuss horror movies and other entertaining topics. And one portion, we started discussing movies that really screwed us up. <laughs> you know, good, good Sunday afternoon dinner table conversations. <laughs> and I completely forgot about the 2008 psychological thriller Martyrs. And this movie is meant to make you feel uncomfortable. So I love it. And therefore, I am recommending this week's movie. Martyrs, 2008. There is a 2014 remake of the same title, but it's very watered down. And the plus side about it, though, is it is in English, so you don't need subtitles. However, the one I'm talking about, the 2008 Martyrs, that's the one that I want you to check out, and it's in French, and it's worth it. Unless you cannot stand horror movies or really intense, it's gory. It's gory, but it's such a good film. If you can't take that, then watch the 2014 version. And I am not going to think you're a wuss for not being able to watch horror movies. I don't think that I'm better than people because I can watch horrific horror movies. It just means that I probably need more therapy than most people. <laughs> now, the premise of Martyrs is it revolves around a young woman who is seeking revenge on the people who kidnapped, tortured, and abused her as a child before she escaped. And while in an orphanage, she met another child and they became best friends. And as adults together, they get thrown into a world of messed up, bizarre circumstances. And her friend was not expecting to be thrown into it. There you go. Sweet dreams. Martyrs 2008. <laughs> I tried to scare you. Now you try to scare me. You can reach out and send me your horror movie recommendations at lullabythefearpodcast.com. Or you can follow on Twitter at Lullaby the Fear and Instagram at Lullaby the Fear Podcast. So please don't forget to rate five stars and share the podcast to support the show. Thank you for listening to this week's Lullaby. Sweet dreams. Lights out. <laughs>